Well, take your Bibles and let's all turn, and I hope I've still got here. There it is. 1 Timothy chapter 4. In just a moment, we'll look at verses 7 and 8. How many of you had a good Christmas? Anybody have a good one? I'm not going to ask how many of you ate a lot or anything like that. I can just tell you this. I got on the scales this morning, and it said one at a time. <laughs> one at a time. So uh, Donna said, you want any breakfast? I said, I don't think so. <laughs> I think I've had enough breakfast. I hope this uh, button doesn't pop off and hit somebody on the front row. All right. Good. I want to talk to you today about training ourselves for the purpose of godliness. And it is interesting that people really start to do athletic events and train themselves in January. But I want to encourage you not only to do that, there's nothing wrong with that at all, but I want to encourage you to train yourself spiritually for the purpose of godliness. And the Bible uses that phrase in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. I just want to give you eight simple ways to become a better Christian. This is not salvation by works. This is not spiritual growth by works. But I will tell you this. This is obeying the Word of God. And God blesses obedience. Can we say that together? God blesses obedience. And if you'll obey the Lord, not your pastor, you don't have to obey me, but you do need to obey the Lord, and I do too. And if we'll do these five things, we will be better Christians on this day next year, all right? And that's what I want. I want to be better. I want to be more like Christ. I want to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, let's look at this. Train yourself for godliness. 1 Timothy 4, verses 7 and 8. Just two verses. Would you read them with me, please, off the screen? And this is from the English Standard Version. Now, don't panic. You know, you don't have to all go out and buy one of those, all right? But it's a great translation, and I would encourage you to get one, okay? Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Now, that just makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, it's good to stay in shape. It's good to eat right and exercise and all of that. That's fine. But it's even better to stay in shape spiritually. And I want to give you some help that will encourage you, I believe. Once you start doing these things, it's like regular exercising. You just enjoy them so much, you hate to miss it. And I believe that's the way this is going to be with these disciplines, these ways of training yourself for godliness. I want to give you five. Number one, read the Bible. That's not rocket science, is it? Read the Bible. Revelation 1, verse 3. Blessed is he who reads, and those who hear 
the words of this prophecy and heed the things which are written in it for the time is near. Now this obviously is referring to the book of Revelation. Let's put that verse back on the screen just for a moment. But I believe it also is a principle that works out in the entire Bible. If you will read the Bible and if you will hear the words of the Bible, that's when somebody preaches or teaches. And then if you will not only be a hearer of God's Word and a reader of God's Word, but a doer of God's Word, like James says, then you will be training yourself in a spiritual way in godliness. Now, here's some just a few thoughts about reading the Bible. We have a guide to give you. You say, well, I don't want to use a guide. I'm just going to read what I want to read. That's like trying to diet with no plan, all right? It lasts about two weeks, all right? And uh, I would encourage you to get on a Bible reading plan. I started this, a Bible reading plan, back in around 1994. My mother had discovered the one-year Bible, and so I've been reading the Bible that way ever since. And sometimes I've read it even more than once a year. Just double it up is all you have to do, and you can read it twice a year. But uh, once a year is a good pace. It takes about 15 or 20 minutes. And at the end of this quick message here, I'm actually going to read with you, you can follow along, the first entry of the one-year Bible. We're going to do that today right before we have the Lord's Supper, okay, to show you how short it is. And I'm not a fast reader. Now, Donna could read it, and it'd be in two minutes, all right? She's the fastest reader I've ever read, and she comprehends what she reads. But I would encourage you to use a guide. These are available at all the exits, all the doorways. They, you can pick this up. If you don't want to use this reading plan, use another one. That's fine. My wife likes the Chronological Bible, and that's a great uh, Bible as well. So find a one-year Bible plan or find a one-year Bible and just read 15 or 20 minutes a day is all it will take. Get an understandable version. Ver, version. Boy, that didn't sound good, did it? All right, yeah. Uh, version. ESV is excellent. I love the New American Standard. I've been reading it for 40 years. New Living Translation is tremendous. How many of you have a copy of the New Living Translation? Anybody? Man, what a great translation that is. So read a version that you can understand. Read it out loud. I would encourage you to do that to prevent just letting your mind wander. How many of you ever read and your mind wanders and you get to the end of the paragraph and you say, I don't even know what I just read? Anybody know what I'm talking about? One of the ways to get over that is to read out loud. Read out loud. Read early in your day. The quicker you can get in the Bible, the better you will be. And when you're reading, and I really don't know how to explain this, but when you're reading, listen for the voice of the Lord, and God will speak to you. He'll give you a rhema, a promise from the Lagos. He'll give you a word from the Word, and I would encourage you to read the Bible. That's where it starts. If you don't do anything else, do that. Secondly, pray. Pray. 
Spend time with God, talking with God. Luke chapter 18, verse 1 says, Now he, Jesus, was telling them a parable to show that at all times they ought to pray and not to lose heart. Paul said in Ephesians 6, 18, With all prayer and petition, at all times in the Spirit, with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. Perseverance in prayer is one of the things that you need to learn. Do it even when you don't feel like doing it. You know, when you're married, you need to talk with one another, not at each other, but with one another. And you need to talk with each other even when you don't feel like doing it. There's just something good about communicating with people that you love. And when you love the Lord, if you love the Lord, you'll want to talk with Him. Talk with Him. Spend time with Him. And uh, just, uh, just make sure that you pray. Last night, I went to bed early, and uh, I was watching a football game. I know that shocks you, but uh, I, it was halftime. I really didn't know how it was going to end and didn't really care. I said, I'm going to go on. You know, Alabama wasn't playing anyway, so I mean, you know, go on to bed. And I would have gone to bed if it was Alabama too. Because I wanted to go to bed early enough so I could get up early enough to read my Bible. I just enjoy reading my Bible. Not, with all due respect, not to prepare sermons for us, but rather just to feed my soul. So I went to bed on time. I got up on time. And I prayed and I read my Bible. Now, I use a pattern that I've had for years. I begin with praying the names of God. I've got about eight or nine names that I pray back to God. I won't give you all of them, but for instance, I praise God that he is Jehovah Shalom, the Lord my peace. Nobody can give you peace like the Lord Jesus Christ. I praise him that he is Jehovah Nisi, the Lord my banner, who watches over me and protects me. I praise him that he is Jehovah Jireh, the Lord my provider. Aren't you glad that Jesus Christ will give you food to eat, clothes to wear, and a roof over your head. Amen? Amen. And he'll give you spiritual provision as well. He also is Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord my righteousness. My righteousness is like filthy rags, but his righteousness is perfect. I praise him for all these things, and I could go on, but I'll stop there. I praise him. Well, I can't. i got to give you one more. Jehovah Shammah. I love it that he is the Lord who is with me. When he died, John Wesley, the last thing John Wesley said, well into his 80s, on his deathbed, he looked at one of his greatest friends. He said, the greatest thing of all is God is with us. God is with us. Aren't you glad that he's not way off up yonder? He's right here with us. He is our Jehovah Shammah. I pray for Bellevue. I, I'll preach better if you'll pray better, all right? Pray for Bellevue, not just for me, but pray for our whole ministry. What a great crowd. Let's thank God for all the people who are in church this morning. Amen. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I pray for my family. I pray for sick people. I've got a card that has about 40 or 50 people on there that I've been praying for for a while. And I pray for lost people. I pray for our nation. You believe our nation needs our prayers? Sure they do. 
and the possibilities are endless. I will just tell you something that I heard years ago from Don Miller, the most brilliant man on prayer that I've ever studied under. He said, a day without prayer is a wasted day. Say that with me. A day without prayer is a wasted day. And then share the gospel. Now, some of y'all just froze up right there. That just bothers you. I can't do that. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, also to the Greek. I would encourage you to carry, at least in your car, a gospel track. I carry those with me, and when I am out, you know, if I get a Coca-Cola at McDonald's or whatever, they've got really good Coca-Colas, by the way, <laughs> diet Coca-Colas, anyway. And, uh, I, but I, I try to give a gospel track to whoever is there. I try to give gospel tracts while I'm out. And uh, just this last week, I was able to lead a young man, I think it was a week ago today, uh, to the Lord right, standing right there. And just asked him, do you know the Lord Jesus? And shared my testimony with him. And then I shared the gospel with him. And I didn't pressure him, but I said, you know, what better time to get saved than on Christmas Day, you know? And you'll never forget that day. And uh, he prayed to receive Christ right there. And you know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm nothing special on that. You say, well, you're a preacher. People listen to you. You know, a lot of times that will cause them not to want to listen to me. <laughs> Some of you have a better advantage than I do because you know people that would never uh, even come around somebody like me. But you know them. They're your relatives. They're the people you work with. You go to school with them. You work with them, whatever. And you could share the gospel with them in a loving way. You, you don't have to be overbearing. I know that you don't want to be that. But, man, we want people to know the Lord. We want people to be saved and have abundant life here and have everlasting life in eternity. And I tell you, when you get to heaven, you're not gonna, you'll wish that you had shared the gospel more. So I would encourage you to do that. Be polite and just uh, ask the Lord to help you share the gospel. Number four, join a discipleship group. It's one of the biggest things you can do. And we've got today, as you leave, out in the, uh, the areas, the east and west lobbies and all that, we've got places for you to sign up for groups. One of those is a discipleship group. Uh, discipleship groups are a little bit different than life groups. Um, a lot of our life groups have men and women in there. The discipleship groups are... Uh, gender exclusive, we just mean by that, you know, the men are with the men, the women are with the, the women. That's the best way because a lot of times then, you know, you can get a, a little bit more detail about your prayer requests and all those things. You just sometimes need to be around, if you're a lady, you need to be around other women. And if you're a man, you need to be around other men. And I would encourage you to do that. That's how you uh, can keep accountable. I can remember that I got with some guys at UT Martin right when I got saved and uh, we started a little weekly meeting. We were reading the Bible. We didn't know exactly what we were doing. We started with Ephesians, one of the most difficult <laughs> books in the New Testament. Shows you right there that we didn't know what we were doing. Amen. We should have started with John. But anyway, uh, we, it was in the Bible. We thought we'd just go ahead and go with it, you know. And we started reading and uh, talked about it. And I can remember then meeting uh, George Guthrie, a guy I knew, known in high school. And uh, we discipled each other. And we went through, we, we were out soul winning. Uh, we had both gone to Union University and we'd go out soul winning. Downtown Jackson, walking around on the streets, just talking to people. And back then we were 
athletes, you know, we were built up and everything. We'd go up to people and say, hey, if you were to die, you know, two big guys weigh about 220 pounds looking at you, you know, if you were to die, you know, <laughs> police, police. But anyway, anyway they, they didn't really do that. But we, we just say, do you know you go to heaven? So we're down there witnessing to people and passing out gospel tracts after we'd been in school at Union. And we found a bookstore. And in the bookstore, we found a navigator topical memory system. And we, we memorized in the next year uh, 60 verses. And it changed our lives. I would encourage you, get in a discipleship group and be with other Christians. Iron sharpens iron. One man sharpens another. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 2, 2, the things which you have heard from me, Paul says, in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. If you study that verse, there are four different levels, four levels of people, and that's how the gospel is passed on. And then finally, fast. Do without food, for spiritual purposes. Jesus said in Matthew 6, whenever you fast, don't put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance so that they will be noticed by men when they are fasting. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face so that your fasting will not be noticed by men, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret, read the last part with me, will reward you. How many of you want to be rewarded by God in this life? In this life. Fast. fast. You fast and God says, I'll reward you. God will do things when you pray that he won't do if you don't pray. God will do things when you fast. You say, well, I can't fast. I'm on medication. I'm on medication too. Anybody can fast for one meal. Anybody can. And most anybody can fast for one day. Now, I'm not telling you what to do, but I am saying that it focuses and sharpens your mind and it gives you extra time to spend with the Lord. You know, Baptists, we don't drink and we don't dance. All we've got is food, amen? So we, we eat. I mean, come on. We invented uh, the whole thing of add a dish and bring it in, you know, and all that. Well, nothing wrong with eating. But sometimes we need to have food that the world doesn't know anything about. That is spiritual manna where we do without a meal and we say, you know what? I'm going to focus on Jesus. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to pray. And it, 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 I don't know what it does, but it just takes your prayer life to another level. And it kind of, if you ever watched that old movie of Star Wars, when they would hit warp speed or what it was, and they just, boom, they were gone. That's what fasting does to your prayer life. It just takes you to another level. And sometimes, how many of you, let me just ask you, how many of you have had a thing that you've prayed for and 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 you don't see any results? Anybody out there at all? I got my hands up. I want to tell you what to add to it, fasting. That doesn't mean you'll get immediate results, but I'm telling you, I don't understand fasting. I don't understand prayer. I don't understand any of these spiritual disciplines. I don't have to know how they work, but I know that God 
uses them. And if you will fast, God will do things, give you spiritual breakthroughs. I believe it is the key, fasting is, to going to the next level in your spiritual walk. How many of you would like to go to a new level with Jesus this coming year? Amen? I got my hand up. Fast. Fast. Well, let's read the Bible together. And uh, you take your Bible and turn with me to Genesis. I can tell you one thing. You're going to have to have some glasses to read this print. I'm going to tell you that. <laughs> all right? More pages next year, all right? Yeah, all right. I sure hope I'm telling you the right verses, all right. Genesis chapter 1. That's a good place to start. And we're going to read the first two chapters. Two chapters? Yeah, and we're not going to be through when we do it. We'll read some more after that. Ready? It's on page three. All right? In my Bible. This is the New Living Translation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the deep waters, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light was good. Then he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, the darkness night. Evening passed, morning came, marking the first day. Then God said, let there be a space between the waters to separate the waters of the heavens from the waters of the earth. And that is what happened. God made the space to separate the waters of the earth from the waters of the heavens. God called the space sky, and evening passed, and morning came, marking the second day. Then God said, let the waters beneath the sky flow together into one place so dry ground may appear. And that is what happened. God called the dry ground land and the waters seas, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the land sprout with vegetation, every sort of seed-bearing plant, and trees that grow seed-bearing fruit. These seeds will then produce the kinds of plants and trees from which they came. And that's what happened. The land produced vegetation, all sorts of seed-bearing plants, and trees with seed-bearing fruit, their seeds produced plants and trees of the same kind, and God saw that it was good. And evening passed, and morning came, marking the third day. Then God said, let lights appear in the sky to separate the day from the night. Let them be signs to mark the seasons, days and years. Let these lights in the sky shine down on the earth. And that is what happened. God made two great lights, the larger one to govern the day and the smaller one to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set these lights in the sky to light the earth, to govern the day and night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And evening passed and morning came, marking the fourth day. Then God said, let the waters swarm with fish and other life. Let the skies be filled with birds of every kind. So God created great sea creatures and every living thing that scurries and swarms in the water and every sort of bird. 
each producing offspring of the same kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God blessed them, saying, be fruitful and multiply. Let the fish fill the seas. Let the birds multiply on the earth. And evening passed, and morning came, marking the fifth day. Then God said, let the earth produce every sort of animal, each producing offspring of the same kind, livestock, small animals that scurry along the ground, and wild animals, and that is what happened. God made all sorts of wild animals, livestock, and small animals, each able to produce offspring of the same kind, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth, govern it, reign over the fish in the sea, the birds of the sky, all the animals that scurry along the ground. Then God said, look, I've given you every seed-bearing plant through the, throughout the earth and all the fruit trees for your food. And I have given every green plant as food for all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, and the small animals that scurry along the ground, everything that has life, and that is what happened. Then God looked over all he had made and saw that it was very good. And evening passed, and morning came, marking the sixth day. So the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything on them was completed. On the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation. So he rested from all his work, and God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it was the day when he rested from all of his, his work of creation. This is the account of the creation of the heavens and the earth. And then when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, neither wild plants nor grains were growing on the earth. For the Lord God had not yet sent rain to water the earth, and there, was no, there were no people to cultivate the soil. Instead, springs came up from the ground and watered all the land. Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. Then the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he placed the man he had made. The Lord God made all sorts of trees grow up from the ground, trees that were beautiful and produced delicious fruit. In the middle of the garden, he placed the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed from the land of Eden, watering the garden and then dividing into four branches. The first branch, called the Pishon, flowed around the entire land of Havilah, where gold is found. The gold of that land is exceptionally pure. Aromatic resin and onyx stone are also found there. The second branch, called the Gihon, flowed around the entire land of Cush. The third branch, called the Tigris, flowed east of the land of Ashur. The fourth branch is called the Euphrates. The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. 
Then the Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. So the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals, all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And the man chose a name for each one. He gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky, and all the wild animals. But still, there was no helper just right for him. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib, and he brought her to the man. At last, the man exclaimed, this one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. Amen? Amen. Let's go over to Matthew now, very quickly. Matthew you can do this every morning. Matthew chapter 1. I read this this morning. This is the record of the ancestors of Jesus, the Messiah, a descendant of David and of Abraham. Abraham was the leader of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Amenadab. Amenadab was the father of Nashon. Nashon was the father of Salmon. Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Remember her? She was a harlot. And who did she have? Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother was Bathsheba, the widow of Uriah. Solomon was the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam was the father of Abijah. Abijah was the father of Asa. Asa was the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat was the father of Jehoram. Jehoram was the father of Uzziah. Uzziah was the father of Jotham. Jotham was the father of Ahaz. Ahaz was the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah was the father of Manasseh. Manasseh was the father of Ammon. Ammon was the father of Josiah. Josiah was the father of Jehoiakim, and, or Jehoiachin, either way you want to say it, and his brothers born at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the Babylonian exile, Jehoiachin was the father of Shiltiel. Shiltiel was the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel was the father of Abiud. Abiud was the father of Eliakim. Eliakim was the father of Atzor. Atzor was the father of Zadok. Zadok was the father of Akim. Akim was the father of Eliud. Eliud was the father of Eliezer. Eliezer was the father of Mathan. Mathan was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. And Mary gave birth to, jo to Jesus, who is called the Messiah. All those listed above include 14 generations from Abraham to David, 14 from David to Babylonian, the Babylonian exile, and 14 from the Babylonian exile to the Messiah. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph, but before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man, did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet, look, the virgin will conceive a child. This is Isaiah 7, 14. She will give birth to a son and they will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife, but he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born and Joseph named him Jesus. Now we're going to read down through verse 12, which is halfway through chapter 2. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, he was, he was, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem of Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men. And he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem, search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. After this interview, the wise men went their way and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house. They saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. Now, We've done Old Testament. We've done New Testament. Now we're going to go back very quickly to Psalms. Go to Psalm chapter 1. And we'll read that one psalm there. Then we'll do just a few verses out of Proverbs and we'll be through. Psalm 1. Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around the sinners with sinners or join in with mockers, but they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither, and they prosper in all they do. They are like worthless chaff, scattered by the wind, they will be condemned at the time of judgment. I said, but, but, but not the wicked, I'm sorry. But not the wicked. 
Verse four, they are like worthless chaff scattered by the wind. They will be condemned at the time of judgment. Sinners will have no place among the godly. For the Lord watches over the path of the godly, but the path of the wicked leads to destruction. Now go to Proverbs chapter one, and we'll just read six verses, and we'll be through. Proverbs chapter one. These are the Proverbs of Solomon, David's son, king of Israel. Their purpose is to teach people wisdom and discipline, to help them understand the insights of the wise. Their purpose is to teach people to live disciplined and successful lives, to help them do what is right, just, and fair. These Proverbs will give insight to the simple, knowledge and discernment to the young. Let the wise listen to these Proverbs and become even wiser. Let them, those with understanding, receive guidance. By exploring the meaning in these Proverbs and parables, the words of the wise and their riddles. Let's thank the Lord for the Word of God. Amen. Amen. I hope that took me 17 minutes and 15 seconds. How many of you believe that that would be a good 17 minutes every day? Amen? Amen. There are 96 15-minute portions in every 24 hours. Can you give God a little bit more than 1% of your day to read the Bible? And then, can you do these other things? Can you pray? The Bible is God talking to you. Prayer is you talking to God and listening to God. And then, can you say, I'm going to share my gospel, the gospel. I'm going to tell people about Jesus this year. I'm at least going to tell them my testimony. I'm going to take some of these gospel tracts that we've got laying around here, and I'm going to get those, and I, I'm going to be telling somebody about Christ this year. And then, will you join a discipleship group? You're reading the Bible, you're praying, you're talking with God and you're sharing the gospel, and now you're going to be around some other Christians. Iron sharpens iron. So these people of the, the same gender, you're going to be with them, and they're going to sharpen you and make you more like Christ. They love the Lord, and being around them will help you. And then will you fast? Will you just once in a while skip a meal, maybe even go a whole day, and in those 30 or 40-minute time slots where you normally eat, would you just read the Bible and spend that extra time with God in prayer? This is not hard to do, but it's something that if you'll do it, it will change your lives. I want us to thank God again. I'm not thank you. We're not trying to thank the pastor or anything like that, but just thank the Lord for these wonderful disciplines that can help us become more like Jesus. Let's thank the Lord right now. Amen. Amen.